0: Hello and welcome to the MHDD Crossroads podcast, where we explore the intersection of mental health and developmental disabilities. In this episode, Matt Wapit interviews Ryland Rogers from AUCD. We hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to look at the show notes for more resources.
1: Uh, welcome, everybody. I'm Matt Wapit. I'm the executive director of the Center for Persons with Disabilities here at Utah State University, and I'm also one of the uh, project staff on the Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities National Training Center. Uh, it's my privilege to host uh, this version of the podcast, and um, we're here today with Ryland Rogers. Ryland is the Director of Public Policy at the Association of University Centers on Disability, or AUCD, for those of you in the know, where she works on federal policy and legislative issues that affect people with developmental disabilities and their families. Prior to working at AUCD, Ryland served as the Training Director and Family Leadership Coordinator for the Riley Child Development Center in Indiana, and uh, was a founding board member of the Family Voices Program in Indiana. Both as a parent and a professional, Ryland has extensive experience on topics, including special education regulations, public and private healthcare financing, and family professional partnerships. So we're really glad to have you with us today, Ryland. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Uh, So just to kind of kick it off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, in addition to what we just read, um, and your connection to disability and mental health?
0: Yeah, um, so my children who are now young adults always called this the origin story question about why are you doing this and what are you here? So I think that references superheroes. Um, My reasons for being connected to disability policy and making it my life's work are really personal. So I identify as a person with a disability, I'm dyslexic, but it was when I became a parent of two children who are now young adults and both of them had visible disabilities, medical complexities, um, that I really started to be very aware of how policy impacts lives of families and individuals and how in many cases policy isn't working well for people with disabilities and their families. Um, In the course of raising our family, my husband acquired a traumatic brain injury. So we like to say that in terms of disability, we are all in in our household and it's become our life's work. Um, Through those personal experiences, I started to engage in policy, really at the grassroots level of building relationships with legislators. And I felt like I had some skills and was able to build some skills in translating lived experience to legislators, but then also really importantly, helping individuals understand what policy proposals might mean to their lives. So that started me down this journey um, about two and a half years ago, sort of at the same time that my kids uh, became young adults and were no longer in the full-time being raised stage, I too was ready to graduate and looking for new opportunities. I had done my previous work in the state of Indiana, and there was an opportunity to go to Washington DC and work full-time on policy. I was really drawn to coming to AUCD for a couple of reasons. Um, One is really reflected in this conversation. I think it's critically important to have voices from every state and territory at the table, and the AUCD network has that, and they have it in really important ways. Um, we have researchers. We have folks that are really um, just experts in best practice, in emerging practice. We also have a network that includes people with disabilities and their families in every state and territory. So whenever I'm working on a policy issue, I can check in and see what's happening and be able to share that back and forward. Um, so that's what brought me to Washington and brought me to working on this full-time. It's been uh, probably an unusual American moment to dive in full-time on policy, but in a lot of ways, it's been very grounding. Um, and I think that there's lots of opportunities to, for all of us to learn about what's our individual role in policy and how can we, when we're seeing things not work in our lives, in our communities, What's the way to advocate and make a policy change? So that's really the what got me here and the work that I get to do um, every day now.
1: That's uh, I, I think it's funny that you yeah you're kind of moving full time into this space right now and because right clearly in the news media and everything else it's all about how dysfunctional it is and yet that I sense that voice of optimism and what you just said that there's opportunity to be had here and a chance to maybe make a difference. So that's a, that's actually refreshing. To hear. <laughs> I'm trying super
0: hard. I also sometimes believe that if I could do it in the really hard times, um, when the pendulum swings a little bit in a, in a more functional direction, which I think we all hope it will, that you know. maybe I'll be actually good at it at that point. It will look really great.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, you one of the problems that, has historically faced the field of developmental disabilities and mental health as they've been seen and perceived as two separate issues Um, and really the policies in both arenas have kind of pursued two separate tracks. Why do you think disability and mental health are often thought of as separate and distinct issues?
0: So I think it's really important how you frame that question because you talked about sort of the history and that this is not a new challenge. I also think when you talk about disability and particularly developmental disabilities and mental health as being separate, there's a third piece um, to the challenge. And the reality is that the way systems have evolved in our country, developmental disabilities are sort of one silo, mental health services are another silo. And then healthcare is often seen as a third and distinct silo. And some of the tensions around each of those sort of pots have continued to perpetuate this challenge of what fits where and how do you address an issue? Um, You know, in some ways it's an outcome of advocacy and history. And we really came to a developmental disability system through the DD Act, which was the last piece of legislation that President Kennedy signed. He came to that effort as a sibling of a person with an intellectual and developmental disability. That created an amazing foundation that really we all get to benefit from today in terms of the developmental disability system. But it came and took a giant leap forward in ways that weren't Accessible and readily available to other types of disabilities. So it created a silo. And so then we've seen other things and issues sort of lurch over time. We've seen, um, you know, the AIDS epidemic created a push on blood disorders and other issues. We've seen advocacy and research in the cancer space move things forward. We've seen the evolution of health science and how it's changed. The life course and life expectancy for individuals that were are born with conditions of childhood that did not used to survive to adulthood, who now do. All of those things have created change over time in terms of sort of what's gotten the attention. Um, it's only recently that people have started to take a step back and say, that doesn't work. It turns out that each of us doesn't fit neatly into one system and not another that um, having an intellectual disability does not mean that you will not have a mental health need. that having a mental health need doesn't mean that you might benefit from the, some of the systems and services that have um, worked well for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And then the sort of other real giant in the room is how do you pay for it all? and um, that Where you get a lot of that oxygen is the larger healthcare system, which tends to think of disability issues and mental health issues as farther down on the priority ladder. So it's a little bit of a perfect storm that's created this separation. I think it's been individuals um, who've been starting to do the work to show the data of the fact that the silos aren't real, that's not how lives work, and that the needs cross. I think the other piece that's been a particular challenge is um, the world of sort of diagnostic codes and whether something is seen as a mental health issue or a developmental disability issue. We've saw that sort of almost, I don't really like the word war, but almost a battle in the space around autism, whether it was should be considered a developmental disability or a behavioral mental health disability. So those, um, that history of how we diagnose things has created another layer of challenge. So that's a lot. I think it speaks to there's a lot of challenges there.
1: That is, that's a ton. And I appreciate you bringing it up. I think the autism example is one that um, uh, we frequently overlook, but I think it's really a current and, uh, and a recent issue, you know, with the new DSM that came out a few years ago and the recontextualization of that. Um, yeah, that's a really good example that nobody's brought up before, so. But I, I also appreciate that idea of healthcare as a separate silo. You know, we do sometimes get very, get the blinders on, right? When we're in our, our little worlds, and you're exactly right. These these are very interdisciplinary issues and they, they overlap and intersect and that creates some unique challenges. Um, actually trying to address them, especially since the funding pots tend to be completely separate too. <laughs> right.
0: the, the, I think the term that is frequently used is uh, braided and blended funding. Um, yep. And that I think sounds better than it actually has ever been executed. So um, whenever I hear braided and blended funding, I always look for uh, budget cuts that are coming next. So it's, yeah. it's a
1: worry term in my world. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, so, you're kind of, you're there in Washington, you're kind of engaged in this every single day, you know, you've talked a bit about the autism thing, but right now on the Hill, what are some of the most pressing issues in disability and mental health policy?
0: Wow, so, um, today we're recording this on September 30th and it's been one seriously wild day. Um, you know, we are living in an ongoing pandemic and the way that that pandemic impacts um, all lives and all systems continues to be an American challenge. So it has been true since last March that every policy decision under consideration in Washington is seen through the lens of COVID. So that has created um, sort of the need as my friends in social work and psychology will say to reframe Um, some existing problems that we've known or needs to make them sort of resonate in a COVID environment. So I think that piece is very pressing in Washington. Um, We are getting ready to have a new um, session of the Supreme Court and we have been in a multi-year process where many states have been suing um, to end the Affordable Care Act. And that case will actually be heard in front of the Supreme Court on November 10th with a potential to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So that's created a very different conversation about what's happening and what comes next. Um, And I think uh, since I said we are talking on um, September 30th, everybody knows there's gonna be an election. In many states, the election's underway. And so that tension of what will a transition be? Will there be a transition? Has created a little bit of um, a little bit of a stuckness in terms of moving something forward. I think the other piece that's really important for us all to remember and be aware of for the immediate term and the long term is that COVID has created an economic recession in our country. And so that is going to have a multi-year impact on federal spending. And so when we're thinking about policy and we're thinking about the tension of the recession and what decisions will be made, I think we always have to be mindful of that balance. When we're um, sharing ideas that are investments that we believe strongly in, that there's definitely a Reality check that the economic situation is different um, than it was a year ago.
1: There's a lot to grab there. There's a lot.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, welcome there's, to my day. <laughs> there's a, yeah, oh, I mean, you're right. Just the challenges are so, they, they seem absolutely overwhelming. I mean, when we started working in this area of dual diagnosis um, a couple of years ago, they felt big mm-hmm. and they only seem to have gotten bigger as we continue to try to move down this track.
0: Yeah, you, know, you mentioned at the beginning that like, I seem to have maybe a, even a twinge of optimism and awareness of um, the possibilities. And really, I think that comes from the reality that we've made progress in awareness of the issues. So I think the reality is that we're going to tackle these hard changes, these policy changes that will be need to be made to break down those silos, to see individuals as who they are as people in terms of their complicated needs and where they're living in families and communities and really create a system that allows them to get the services that they need and not have to sort of fit right into a box related to a certain diagnosis. If we're going to make that kind of progress, we have to have champions and we have to have policymakers and really their staff that understand the need and understand the issue. And I've been encouraged by the way that staffers have more knowledge about these challenges than they would have 10 years ago. Um, And I think there's a lot of things to credit that. Um, You know, we have made significant progress as a country around the stigma of mental health issues. And there is greater awareness um, on an individual level that many of us have family members who have mental health needs. Um, We are more transparent and aware of our family members' disability status, so there's that personal connection. But also there's a growing awareness of how systems um, are not working well and how there's a need to modernize those systems. Um, our current executive director at AUCD, John Cheetah, um, has a great phrase about never waste a good crisis. And I think there's some realities of our current crisis that really help us to continue moving um, the progress forward. You know an economic crisis really is a chance to rethink um, our spending and you're less likely to do something that way because you've always done it that way and you need to really take a look at it so that's always um, a positive. I think the reality that COVID has shined a light on service systems that support individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities and the service systems that support individuals with mental health needs um, and mental health um, disabilities has really created an opportunity to have a big conversation about what's working, what are some things that are positive that we can build on, and what are some of the things that have gotten laid bare in this crisis that are priorities to fix? So I think there's some chances in um, the current transition and there's always an opportunity during an election to raise issues in a way that you don't get to otherwise um you know every member of the house is running for office and they're willing to talk to anybody now um and they might they might be willing to talk to you for the first time about an issue that they previously didn't have an interest in and it could be one of those conversations that creates a new legis- legislative champion
1: yeah well, in that, I think that idea of champions is really interesting because, and kind of going back to what you said earlier about blended and braided funding, um, you know, that's, it frequently takes a champion who's willing to do the problem solving to figure out how to make those sort of interdisciplinary, you know, cross silo programs actually work. I mean, in your experience, what are some of the attributes, I guess, of those champions or what are some of the the things that we do to ensure that those sort of interdisciplinary sort of cross cross silo programs continue to happen. Um,
0: yeah, I think that's such an interesting question because it makes me think about the need to always be thoughtful about at what level of policy and government and systems is the sticking point or the need for advocacy and we've been talking really big picture about the issues in mental health and developmental disabilities, the sort of joy of all of those systems is there is both a federal side and a state side. And then very frequently, there are additional community policy sort of levers and then institutional levers. So sometimes when we're thinking about what does it take to make a great idea real, It's a little bit of all of the above, and you need to have champions at all of those levels. You know, you can have um, Medicaid at the federal level agree to pay for some great services, but if the state government hasn't bought in on that option, or if your local um, hospital or healthcare system isn't willing to turn on the codes, you're stuck. So thinking through all of those different levels is important. I think there's an opportunity that, really, to develop anyone into a champion. Um, We know that as humans, our instinct is to try to solve problems and um, make things better. So when we can share both a need clearly and a solution to a need, that's a chance to um, get somebody to engage in partnership with you in resolving that issue. So it's a great um, way to think about it. A lot of times um, we may rule out somebody as a potential champion because we haven't had a lot of success in the past and they haven't seen been open to it the you know there's a couple of things about that sometimes it's a long and sort of um slow moving process and it's just about sharing information over time and being persistent and the other reality is that individual's lived experiences change so somebody may not have a background in this and this may not be a priority issue and then they become a grandparent Um, and their grandchild um, has an intellectual and developmental disability and also some complicated behavioral health needs. Well then you know you're starting with a very new conversation. So the reality is there's lots of chances to think about shared priorities and really um, build those relationships Sometimes it's going to be really successful um, instantly, and sometimes it's going to be a longer process.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, and that's a good point. I think sometimes we, again, going back to the idea of silos, we forget, we, we sometimes just look at the national picture and we forget that, you know, depending on the system that we're working in, um, states and communities have huge um, influence over what those systems look like. I know that the mental health system here in Utah looks very different than most other states and i think we'd see tremendous variability across the united states and so um yeah being familiar i think with all the different levels and then that i like that idea of a sticking point where is the where's the problem in identifying that and the things that you know we could work on is really an important takeaway i think from this conversation so how can people be more effective advocates for mental health supports um, in the developmental disabilities field
0: So I think a couple of things. Um, A willingness to continue to do the education, to be able to say clearly what it is we're talking about and share for whom this is important. So sometimes that's data, sharing that there are numbers of individuals in every community and every state and families that need um, these types of services. Sometimes it's sharing a personal story or a profile, but really being very intentional about continuing to raise the issues and do that education piece. I think it's also um, a little bit about being strategic, looking for when are the opportunities where things may move or there's a chance to make progress on an issue. You know, in Washington, there is definitely a a flow or a cycle to the work here. You know, Congress has a two-year session. Every January, we start with the budget and appropriations process. Every September, they miss their deadline. um, And then they get a continuing resolution and we push it farther down the road. But knowing sort of what the cycle is, when would be a good time to have a conversation, And then looking for opportunities. So um, I mentioned that right now COVID is framing everything. So that doesn't mean we shouldn't be actively talking about mental health needs of those with intellectual and developmental disabilities. But we should be talking about how those needs have continued during this pandemic, how the need to shelter in place has created barriers to services, how we're seeing increased issues around isolation and what that means. So really sharing those um, pieces in whatever the frame is. Um, You know, it's likely that once we get past um, the COVID surge, whether that happens through effective treatment or a vaccine, that our country's attention will shift to recovery. So and those economic recovery issues. So how can we tell the story of intellectual and developmental disabilities and mental health needs in the lens of economic recovery. How does this help us move forward? So really thinking about what's happening around you so that you're framing um, messages. And then really it's, it's that long-term relationships, always being willing to go back and have the conversation again and be a resource and share um, what the work is that you're doing and what your lived experience is.
1: Yeah. That idea of lived experience is really important, and I found it to be extremely um, important in making move, ma- making policy actually changes. Um, you know, lived experience speaks louder than really anything else, even data in many cases. <laughs>
0: yeah, but if you can have the two together, that's yep, how we get I know. stuff done. Yeah,
1: better, right? Um, yeah. So kind of going on that, you, you talk about personal lived experience. One of the things that we like to do here is kind of ask people, what strategies have they found effective to support their own, own mental health? And especially during COVID, I know there's been some unique challenges around that. So what have you found to be effective in supporting your own mental health?
0: Yeah, so we have, um, and have had for a number of years, a, a family theme word. We really like the word resilience. Um, when we have raised um, kids with Complicated healthcare needs and lots of emergencies and crisis uh, resilience. I don't have a tattoo, but if I did have a tattoo, that would probably be mine. So I, I feel like um, that background was really helpful as we entered COVID to sort of think about that. Um, I also think about the the need to embrace flexibility, which is not really actually my area of strength. I would like to be in charge of everything and make it go the way I wanted to, but um, you know I. Famously, pre-COVID wasn't super outdoorsy, like I preferred my nature through glass, Mm -hmm. Um, but when the gyms shut down and the need to be socially distanced was very apparent. um, I am now a a three-mile-a-day outdoor nature path jogger. Um, So I found some flexibility because I needed to do something. And I knew that in order to keep being able to function and have that balance, I I had to find a new path. So um, yeah, I even know about birds and all sorts of things at this point. So I think that that flexibility and that resilience, and then I am one of those people in this world that is lucky to have uh, an amazing partner, my husband, and really having that partnership has been key to my success over time in balancing uh, all the things that we have to balance as humans.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's, you're not the only person who said, right, they've had to completely step outside of their their comfort zone as a result of COVID and really rediscover kind of what it means to to take care of themselves. Um, that's, I appreciate you sharing that. So what's one key idea or action item that you would like our listeners to take away from this conversation?
0: I hope that everybody's that's listening is thinking and can reflect about their expertise, that they really are experts in their lived experience, in the work that they do, in the systems that they see either working or not working, and that policymakers desperately need to hear from them. That in order for policy to work, we need their expert experience guiding that policy. So I often um, say to trainees or emerging leaders, um, they need to just own your greatness and realize that you have a lot to offer to these conversations. And that if your voice isn't at the table, the conversations aren't going to move forward in the way that they need to. I think sometimes we have assumptions about you have to have X, Y, or Z before you can engage in policy and those assumptions prevent us from bringing really the full and rich experience that so many of us have to the conversation. So I would just encourage everybody to, to see themselves as experts and to bring that expertise to policymakers. That's
1: great. So how can people get in touch with you if they like more information about anything you've talked about in this episode?
0: Yeah, so I'm super easy. I have a weird name. So if you Google my name, you get all the ways to find me. Um, the easiest is via email. So my email is R Rogers, and it's Rogers with a D. So R R O D G E R S at aucd.org. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. So um, I, I'll take it anyway. Um, people want to reach out and be happy to continue the conversation.
1: Great. Thank you, Rylan. We appreciate your insights and, um, yeah, just the expertise and the thoughtfulness you brought to this conversation. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the MHDD Crossroads podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to visit our website at mhddcenter.org or follow us on social media at mhddcenter. Center. You can also look in the show notes for a speaker bio, transcripts in English and Spanish, and other resources mentioned in the episode. Thanks for listening.